to me, this is beginning to look like Disney's going to buy Candle for some amount of money as a way to get Staggs and Mayer back at Disney as potential successors. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, August 2nd. Today, I'm joined by Bill Cohan to talk about yet another big scoop from Puck. Bob Iger is bringing in not one, but two of his old deputies, Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, to help him figure out the future of Disney in the streaming versus linear universe. Will one of them be Iger's successor at Disney once he steps aside? Bill and I discuss. And later, Eric Gardner swings by to discuss why Donald Trump subpoenaed Fox News and why Fox is fighting back. We'll talk about all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan to talk about a pretty big puck scoop. Matt Bellany reported earlier this week that Bob Iger has brought on his old heir parents, Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs, to help him figure out how to deal with the future of Disney and what to do with their linear properties. Bill, why is this significant to you? Well, well Peter, I've sort of seen this, this scenario play out elsewhere, often in, on the Wall Street context, where you've got a problem with succession. Clearly, Bob mm-hmm. Iger does. He must feel like there's no one currently at Disney who he can tap as his successor. He sort of screwed it up the first time uh, by selecting Bob Chapek, and then he comes back for what is ostensibly a two-year stint and then extends it for another two years. So I think creating an alliance with Mayer and Staggs, uh, both of whom were potential successors until, you know, uh, Iger, you know, foolishly chose uh, Chapek, to me is very significant because even though it's just sort of an alliance and maybe in a consulting arrangement, what I often see happen uh, on Wall Street is that companies turn around and actually buy, purchase the company that the consultants work for as a way to actually get successors uh, back into the parent company, Disney. So, in other words, it would not surprise me in the least if a few months from now, uh, Disney buys Candle, which I guess is Staggs and Mayer's firm, which uh, Blackstone has a big stake in, in order to get them back to Disney, which, of course, they didn't have to leave in the first place except for Iger's foolishness whatever, pushing them out, sending them on their way, not tapping them in the first place as a way to create them as, uh, you know, potential successors to him down the road. And this is the kind of thing that Bill Harrison did when he bought the Beacon Group back at J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, potentially getting a successor in Jeff Boisey. Now, that didn't work out. 
He did the same thing again when he bought for Chicago, which was the CEO of which was Jamie Dimon for, you know, many billions. And of course that did work out and Jamie Dimon became the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase and has been for close to 20 years now. Citigroup once did this when they bought uh, Vikram Pandit's hedge fund for like $800 million. And uh, then he became the CEO of Citigroup for a number of years. So this feels like something I've seen before. And, you know, when you have a serious succession problem, which obviously Iger does at Disney, and, you know, you're beginning to make steps towards bringing back two of your former executives who were considered successors in a consulting role. To me, this is beginning to look like Iger is going to buy, Disney is going to buy Candle for some amount of money as a way to get Stags and Mayer back at Disney as potential successors. At this level of industry, maybe you just put aside hard feelings and come back because it's Disney and you might be a successor. Do you have any sense of whether there are hard feelings here. I mean, uh, Mayer left in 2020. He was doing M&A stuff for them. And then Staggs was his CFO and Parks Chief, playing the Tom Wamsgans role. I mean, at this level, is it just like only upside or is there any friction with Iger that you know of? I'm, I'm not aware of any. And I, I mean, I'm sure there was at the time that, you know, they departed because I'm sure they believed that they were potentially succession material. Uh, and I'm sure there were some hard feelings after that. And I'm sure the two of them uh, had lots to talk about when they were forming Candle. I'm sure they had lots to say uh, amongst themselves about Bob Iger. But, you know, that was, what, three or four years ago now for each of them. I think they've been pretty successful. Uh, they got Blackstone to back them. I'm sure they've made a fair amount of money. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they can easily enjoy thinking that, you know, Iger had to turn to them as consultants at this moment to help him think through their strategic issues with ABC or ESPN, the linear assets that they own that are declining. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it has uh, definitely has to have crossed their mind that at some point Disney might buy their little company as a way to bring them back into the fold. And I'm sure that would make them very happy. Uh, maybe uh, it's done, in fact, with the understanding that they be co-CEOs or something, which, mm. frankly, is a dynamic that doesn't really work out often, but uh, it would get them a lot of money individually, and then it would get them even more money and power to be potentially uh, either one of them or together the successors to Iger. Look, obviously, this is just uh, uh, high-level speculation, but I, I definitely have seen this scenario play out before, especially when there's a succession vacuum, as there is now, it clearly is now at Disney. Mm -hmm. And at a lot of companies, I feel like there's a succession well, problem like, across media <laughs> in particular. True. Uh, that's for sure. So Disney's stock popped today a little bit on this news. Obviously, Disney watchers are excited about this, and I wanna ask you why, but also you know, knowing the background of these two guys, just what, what's your sense Bill, of what, what this might mean for those linear properties that are in decline, how they intersect with Disney's streaming strategy. I mean, Mayer, he ran TikTok's US operations, uh, so he sort of understands the digital world, Stags, again, sort of CFO, M&A type. What, what do you think will happen here as they start to consult over what to do with 
Disney's various assets? Look, I, I think, um, you know, I've been uh, writing for a few weeks now about this uh, idea of swapping, uh, somehow using the Hulu mm-hmm. currency. Comcast has owns one-third of Hulu, and, and essentially Disney has all but agreed to buy that one-third stake mm-hmm. for some price, a minimum of which would be, you know, $9 billion. Let's just say it's for $10 billion. And, you know, that could, instead of taking their cash uh, to buy that, Disney could swap part of the equity of ESPN for that, and so that Comcast could end up sort of controlling ESPN, which would get it off uh, Disney's income statement. And uh, Disney, you know, Iger said in Sun Valley, he's looking for somebody with content, distribution, and cash. And certainly Comcast has all those three things for for ESPN. So that's one idea. And certainly, you know, I knew Tom Staggs when, when I was uh, representing you know, Euro Disney in its major league restructuring, financial restructuring that took place in the early 90s. And Tom was a financial analyst uh, at Disney, and I was the associate vice president on that uh, transaction when I was at Lazard. And a smart guy, very competent. I think he obviously is in a position to help Iger think through what to do with ESPN, what to do with ABC, which he's, you know, he's gone and announced that he wants to put that on the market. Uh, Mayer is clearly qualified to help Iger think through, uh, you know, the streaming and digital strategy and how to make money at Disney Plus, which they haven't figured out really uh, how to do yet. So, I mean, I'm sure at first this will be a sort of very lucrative uh, assignment for these guys. Uh, you know, were they, are they also going to tap uh, some M&A guys from Wall Street? I, I assume so. So, I mean, you know, Higer is going to, you know, spend a lot of money on fees here between paying Mayer and Staggs and somebody from Wall Street. So, you know, these are relatively big businesses. They're big problems. He's got to try to solve it. So, you know, he's going to have to pay up fee-wise. Uh, and again, my gut, Peter, is that, you uh, this is going to lead to Disney buying their company so that they are potential successors to him. Yeah, it's, it's also funny. One thing I think about uh, places like Candle Media, in D.C., you have these think tanks where people, when they leave the administration for a Republican or a Democrat, they go have their holding pattern years at like, you know, the Heritage Foundation or the Center for American Progress until the next person comes along. And sometimes I feel like in in media and content and in tech, you have people who like have these big jobs, they leave, they start a little fund, they do a thing, and then they wait for something like, this is the best case scenario for them. (laughs) Like, you know, maybe they get acquired or they find their next chapter at a big new company, or in this case, a big old company that they used to work for. Um, Bill, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. When we come back, Eric Gardner is here to talk about why Donald Trump is picking a legal fight with Fox News. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Ben Landy here with Eric Gardner. Hey, Eric. Good to be with you, as always. Eric, you had the scoop on Monday that Donald Trump recently sent a subpoena to Fox News for access to an unaired interview between Tucker Carlson and the former Capitol Police Chief, Stephen Sund, 
which this presumably had something to do with the fact that Sund, who resigned after January 6th, he's blamed the sergeant at arms, a Pelosi appointee, for not signing off on their quest for help from the National Guard. I mean, we, we don't know exactly what's happened there because the interview with Carlson never aired after Carlson was fired from Fox. But presumably Trump thinks that there's something in this interview or in the notes for the interview that could help with his own legal troubles. What is sort of the backstory there? Why why is Trump coming after Fox for this? What does he think he could get from it? Yeah, well, um, Sun is no longer the police chief. And, you know, he has his own reasons for speaking up about this. Uh, you know, he's been on a book tour and talking to conservative media about it. And uh, in conservative media, there's been this conspiracy that there were federal agents in the crowd that day trying to incite the crowd, maybe kind of deflecting blame from Trump and everything like that. So Trump got wind of this. Uh, he, I'm sure he heard uh, the scuttlebutt and he decided he wanted access to these tapes to to use in, in ongoing legal activities. Fox News has said, well, you know, why don't you get this somewhere else? I mean, the guy has given interviews uh, to the January 6th committee in Congress. Like I said, he is doing book tours. There's no shortage of other avenues for, for this sort of thing. But, you know, who knows? The Tucker Carlson interview might be special in some regards. Right. You reported that Fox News is fighting the subpoena. They wrote a letter back saying, why do we have to do this? Is it possible they're fighting that request because there could be something in the notes or communications for the interview between Tucker staffers or other executives at Fox that might be embarrassing for the network? It's possible, although, you know, this is not the first time that Fox News has, you know, put its foot down. I mean, it's in court right now in other matters. News organizations at large, you know, are very protective when it comes to disclosing, you know, source notes or disclosing unaired articles and, and news broadcasts. And so as, just as a matter of policy, it's never a good idea for a news organization to volunteer this stuff up. I'm sure that they wanted to see how much they can at least get away with resisting. Whether or not there's something in particular that they're trying to protect, I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't know what's in the notes. I don't know what's, you know, was said specifically in, in that interview. So I can't say for sure, you know, what it is that they're trying to protect. It could just be the principle of it all. So Trump is the target of this civil suit from a number of Capitol Police officers who were injured that day. He's also the target, we are told, of an investigation by Jack Smith, the special counsel who is investigating efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Say Trump is able to get his hands on these materials related to this Sund interview. How does that potentially fit into whatever his strategy might be, either to exonerate himself or, or to sort of diminish blame for the events of that day? Sure. I think that, you know, one of the things that, that Trump might be trying to do is to, you know, say that there were bad things that happened that day, but he wasn't the cause of it. The, the charges themselves might be incitement. They might be, you know, witness tampering, you know, interfering with official proceedings that day at, at Congress. And to the extent he can show that there were other activities, other things going on that contributed to the dynamic there, maybe that's uh, exculpatory. I, I don't really think it's a strong argument. I think it's it's basically grasping at straws here. But, you know, he's going to try to muddy things as best he can and throw, you know, spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks and all that. And I think what's interesting here is not necessarily he, he's seizing on a particular legal strategy here, although, yes, it does foreshadow some of the stuff that, that will 
be of importance if Jack Smith were to throw an indictment against him. I also think it's just interesting that the whole relationship between Trump and Fox News, and because obviously they are kind of symbiotic these days and they, they depend on each other, and to see anything come between them is, is really interesting and unusual. Yeah, to the extent that there is any kind of strategy here, it seems like it's more of a political strategy than a legal one. If the idea is to cast some blame on FBI agents who might have been among the crowd that day, it doesn't seem like it's exonerating for Trump, but it does seem like something he could use to chum the waters for the Fox News crowd, for his supporters that might help him electorally. The other thing that it potentially does is it slows down the process. I mean, if he does intend to try to force Fox News to come up with these tapes, there's going to be back and forth arguments in court about this. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that can last months. It could even last years as it goes up the appellate chain and, and the courts wrestle with, you know, reporters privilege and whether or not Trump has you know a firm basis for requesting this sort of thing. So I'm of two opinions. One of one opinion is that he's just going to give up on this because he's so there's so much he's involved with so many legal problems right now that he doesn't have time to you know focus on on this if he can get these tapes a different way if he can get you know the information a different way my other opinion is that you know perhaps this is purposeful and maybe it can kind of just slow everything down and so we should pay attention to that as well i mean we all know that trump would like many of these trials to happen after the november election next year well there's probably no better way to slow things down for a few months than getting into a, a war with a news organization over, over evidence. So that's just another you know, factor that we should consider when, when looking at the situation. Yeah, fair enough. That's a, that's a great point. Eric, do you think that Trump is going to file a motion to force Fox to hand over that recording and the materials? And if he does, what, what is the next step for Fox News? Uh, my guess would be that he's not going to file a motion just because of the expense and, and the burdens that he has in, in attempting to you know, convince a judge that it's absolutely necessary that he gets this sort of thing. But on the other hand, as I said, um, there might be reasons like delay for him to pursue this sort of thing. Maybe he, he does see uh, this conspiracy theory about federal agents as crucial to his defense. And, and perhaps this guy never said it and repeated it again to any one but Tucker Carlson and maybe he needs it or maybe he needs the tapes to impeach this witness, you know, to, to say, you know, you're, you said one thing here, you said another thing there, which is it? Uh, you're not a credible witness or that sort of thing. So there are uh, there could be, you know, particular reasons why it's important for him to, to access this without knowing more inside information about like what's on the tapes and what his strategy is per se i can't say for sure but this is certainly something that, that everyone should keep an eye on because it, it is very very interesting and unusual that something like this is happening eric before i let you go one thing that's always been remarkable to me about your reporting is how you managed to uncover so many different legal stories before anyone else did somebody tip you off to this? You were, you were the first to, to break the story. Or were you just monitoring developments in the filings for a bunch of cases and this sort of popped onto your radar? I gotta be pretty careful with with saying with answering this question because obviously <laughs> sure, sure. a lot of people tend to have a wrong idea about how I get information. They tend to presume automatically that if I'm exposing something, it's the function of someone who's leaking to me or has an ax to grind. And sometimes that's true, but not always. 
Uh, certainly, I pay attention to things. I pay very close attention. I monitor things. I proactively talk to sources and I t- and look at you know court filings and all that. And and I have a fine eye for stuff that might be overlooked. I, I can't say definitively how I got this information here. I, I want to give people an idea about how I do my job. On the other hand, it's not prudent for me to go into the all the details about about this because some some matters are pretty sensitive. Sometimes people can get in trouble for communications that they have with me. And even in, in instances where no one can get into trouble, I don't want those other times when I don't say something to indicate <laughs> that someone's been speaking to me. So it's much better that I have a kind of a consistent answer to these sorts of things so no one gets the wrong idea. Eric, that was very diplomatically and, and delicately put. That's why you're the best in the game. As always, thanks for coming on. This was fun. Not my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.